Uh, we have been working our way through the letters to the Thessalonians, um, the churches around the area of Thessalonica. And uh, the first uh, three editions of this message series, um, which we've called Counterculture, has been spent in 1 Corinthians, the, or, I mean, sorry, 1 Thessalonians, the first letter um, to this church and these churches. Um, today we're going to pull out a passage um, and take a look at a second letter that was sent. Both of these letters were sent pretty quickly, one after the other. Um, and in the first message, we talked about affliction and even the, the blessing of affliction and the fact that we, as we come to Christ, feel afflicted or are afflicted by the Word of God, um, which pushes us to, um, to follow Christ, pushes us to recognizing our need of Him. And, and we are encouraged to encourage one another um, in these ways. Um, and then we talked about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, and uh, that, uh, that that day is coming when He will come and He will uh, redeem His people that have been seeking Him. And there will be a, day, a judgment coming on those who've rejected Him. And we find here Paul saying to the Thessalonians to comfort one another with this idea that Jesus is coming back. Um, last week we talked about countercultural attributes. A few of the attributes that uh, can be incorporated into our lives as he wrapped up that first letter. Well, today we're going to be uh, looking at um, three cultures that have to be countered as we find in these scriptures here. And today I've subtitled the message, You Lazy Meddling Good for Nothing. And I know that you're just encouraged with this title, aren't you? Um, I am too. Well, we're going to look at these three cultures that are outlined at the last part of 2 Thessalonians in, in chapter 3. And the first culture we're going to look at that really must be countered by Christ followers is a culture of laziness. A culture of laziness. Now, um, he says in verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Those are pretty strong words. Uh, maybe you've heard um, a grandpa or something tell you the same thing. If you don't work, son, you're not going to eat and that kind of stuff. Well, here we find Paul putting in the scriptures how important it is to be a person who works. A person who gets up off the couch and um, puts forth effort to provide for him, provide for his family, um, to take accountability and responsibility for the needs that they have. And, um, you know, Paul lays it out. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Um, Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so we find, uh, you know, this proverb in encouraging you to be um, diligent about the work that is in front of you. But when you decide to go flat, go, um, you know, let your laziness take over, you're going to find how scarcity and poverty will overtake you. Okay, so... Um, I think in our culture, generally, we value work. We generally encourage people to get jobs. But we also have a culture established where, um, you know, getting as much as you can for as little effort as possible also is pretty highly esteemed. Um, I'm going to, you know, I, you might have heard of the seven deadly sins. Um, this is probably something you'd hear more in Catholic circles. Um, but you've heard of these seven deadly sins before. Um, and in this list, 
list of seven sins that were developed centuries ago, um, you're going to find the word slothfulness or laziness as one of the seven deadly sins. Where do these deadly, these uh, list of seven come from? I'm going to give you a little historical background. In the fourth century, a Christian monk named Evagrius Ponticus had written down actually eight um, what he entitled Eve, Eight Evil Thoughts. And he had written these down um, for fellow monks. He didn't write it down for as a message to the church as a whole, for even a congregation. He was giving seven, I mean, sorry, eight evil thoughts that really should be incorporated, um, recognizing these evil thoughts, incorporating that into um, the, the thoughts of his fellow monks who were on a, a discipleship journey about these things really need to be avoided or prayed about and um, discussed and everything. And, and so that was first developed. Well, a, a couple hundred years later, in the 6th century, St. Gregory the Great, who would become Pope Gregory I, he rearranged these eight thoughts and he trimmed it down to seven and he gave it in a commentary on the book of Job. And, th and you can think about the time in which these were written down and maybe a purpose for a list like this, a list of seven or eight things that really um, harm a person in their faith walk and journey. And it's got things like lust and greed and covetousness, slothfulness, and a few others. You've got this list of things here that really can hold a person back. And it's written in a time when people didn't have their own copy of the Word of God readily at hand. They were really relying on pastors, teachers, priests, um, church leaders to really tell them what they ought to do. And so you can see why developing a list of seven things to really avoid or pray about or um, in your life, maybe it would be really handy to have these things that you can kind of rip off. Um, these seven deadly sins were also kind of talked about and discussed by Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, and he revisited the list and he in a, in a message he entitled uh, Summa Theologica, or a summary of theology, trying to make a basic sense of categories of sins. Well, the seven deadly sins were really developed to try to make things more memorable and impacting on behavior of those who would learn them and memorize them. But this list does two things in my mind. Um, first is it's overly simplified because sin is not just a list of a few things. Sin um, is really incorporated in the life of a person. It's, 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 it's found in the attitudes. It's found in the words. It's found in the actions. And we, as we begin and we grow in the Lord, we start to realize that things that God never convicted our hearts about and we never thought of as sinful, we get a little further down the road and we realize, boy, this really does separate me from God. And so for us just to have a list of seven things to avoid, and they call them unforgivable sins, um, it's just too simplified. It's also, this list is overly inflated because they did call them um, 
unforgivable sins. And if you have been following Jesus for any length of time, or you have heard the gospel presented in a clear way, you realize that Jesus's blood was so strong and so powerful that nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's one um, instance where in the scripture, it kind of talks about the unforgivable sin, which is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it's my conviction, it's rejection of the work of grace in our lives. And that's the one thing that's going to send someone to hell is they've rejected Christ and his work, um, the work of God, the work of God's plan for salvation. But a list of seven like lust and slothfulness and greed, and these things certainly aren't good for a believer, and they certainly um, are um, uh, harmful and will impact your life negatively. These things are all covered in the blood of Christ. And so to say they're unforgivable is an overinflation. It's an overstatement. And it's really um, someone attempting to scare people, scare the hell out of people, really, is what that attempt is all about. But I want for us to take a look at one of those things in the list, because here we find Paul speaking about laziness, slothfulness, um, there's this human principle celebrated inside all of us, and that is to get the most for the least amount of work. Um, work smarter, not harder. We can really cheer that kind of statement on. Um, we send our kids to college because we feel like they've got a better chance at uh, you know getting as much income as they possibly can with as little work necessary. Or if they put the work in the books, put the work where they're in college, it's going to come back in at them um, with blessing and financial, uh, you know, blessing bigger than all of the work that's going to be involved. And there's a, a distinction, though, between not working because you can't versus not working because you won't. And I believe that it would be easy for us to just simplify and just to take, well, Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Sorry, grandma, who can't work anymore. I, I think that that would be um, a disservice because there's definitely a distinction between those who can't work and take care for themselves and those who can, um, and, but they won't. And we even find, you know, Paul and, and the disciples they were setting up um, organization within the early church to take care of the widow and the orphan, those who can't take care of themselves. Um, we find um, um, an, you know, an encouragement to um, care for the poor. Jesus constantly did that. Um, but there's a distinction between those who can't work and those who won't work. In fact, we even find, um, as we read a little bit more of the scripture, that Paul talks about them being busybodies. So these are people who are not working, and yet they're running around um, engaging in you know, all kinds of stuff, and they're being busybodies, but not being busy about things like taking care of their own needs and taking care of their own families. And so there's this culture of laziness really that can get developed in a person's life. Um, it's, you know, we live in kind of this society where we want things fast, easy, efficient, pleasurable, entertaining. These are all values that we enjoy. We like when things are, are done in an efficient way and quick and they're entertaining and it's enjoyable and little effort for me. Um, but it can foster a laziness, an expectation that I should get more for less effort.
um, the development of drugs and supplements, um, whether they're legal or illegal, they certainly contribute to a culture of laziness. Um, whether it's I can fix things through one easy pill or you get yourself addicted onto some substance and it gives you this attitude of I don't care what happens to me. Um, all of this stuff can go into fostering um, a culture of laziness. Here's a problem. Laziness permeates other areas of life. Um, laziness has this way, if you're lazy with your work, you probably are going to be lazy with your play. You're probably going to be lazy with your relationships. You're going to be lazy in your spiritual life and how much time you spend with the Lord. Laziness just becomes a way of life that permeates into all spheres of your life. Um, the same is true, though, of ambition or initiation or a person who's disciplined. If they're disciplined in one area, of life, they generally are disciplined in most all the areas of life. Um, discipline has a way of, of working its way into multiple aspects of a person's life. So Paul calls the Thessalonians in the second letter um, to counter the temptation of laziness. And you know what? The church has a real opportunity to um, stand out and be different as initiators, um, people who will initiate um, healthy things in a community, healthy things in a family, healthy things in a relationship. Um, laziness, um, you know, is is running rampant in in all of these areas. That's why you know marriages are falling apart because people aren't putting the work there. That's why you know kids are running crazy and getting themselves into trouble because parents aren't doing the hard work there. Maybe when they needed to or could have done it. Um, the list goes on and on as to how laziness impacts society. And so when the church decides we're going to step up and we're going to accept responsibility, we're going to initiate taking care of things, um, it's a way for the testimony of the church to really be strong, just simply by the church um, getting up and moving and loving and serving and following in the ways of Christ. Because if I look at Jesus's life, if I look at everything I read about him, there was no laziness in him. He was initiating relationships and ministry. And so um, this is a culture that I think needs to be countered. Another culture that, that comes up here in these scriptures is a culture of gossip. A culture of gossip. Um, let's read verse 11 and 12 says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, back to that laziness thing, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So here I want to pull out this culture of gossip. Um, that's a, a, a good description of a busybody. A busybody is someone who's out in other people's business. People who are learning um, stuff and distorting stuff and they move it on to the next person and they've got a gossip trail following behind them. Here's gossip defined. Um, it's casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are confirmed um, as not being true. Um, so here we've got gossip um, being discussed here in the form of this word busybody. 
Um, laziness leads you into busy body business, um, areas that you don't belong. When you've got nothing else going on, when you've got no initiation going on in your life, taking care of your own business, you have a tendency to get involved in other people's business. Um, and, and Paul is calling the, the church in Thessalonica to not engage in this kind of activity. The entrapment with gossip is that it's super available. Gossip is super available. You hear one little thing, um, you blow it up in your head to be a little bit more, you pass that information on, usually a little bit uh, different. I mean, if you ever remember as a kid, you used to play that game on the uh, telephone where you would hear a phrase and then you'd whisper it in the ear of the next person and uh, then they would whisper what they heard in the next person's ear and then they would share it until maybe five or six kids later when they get done and then the last person says what they heard and what was initially spoken has no resemblance to what they finally heard after it was filtered through five or six different people. That's kind of the way gossip is. You hear one thing, you see one thing, you share it. Here's my perspective. Here's another person's perspective. And pretty soon you've got a mess. It's super available. It's especially super available now with the use of internet and the use of social media and people are saying all kinds of things without any filter, without any um, fact checking going on and they just spill it on past and boy, it's easy for us to get involved with gossip. Um, it's also super fun, especially when we're not the ones that are the end result or the butt of the conversation. Um, it's fun to talk about other people. It's fun to throw your opinions about how they did or what they're doing. Um, it's also super destructive. It's super destructive to relationships. Um, when gossip gets involved, and I'm sure every person here listening has been entrapped by gossip having gone south. Um, whether you were involved in it or it was about you, it's so um, destructive to relationships. But you know what? It's also super damaging to the witness of the church. You see, church, we need to be different. We, we've got to be the place where gossip stops. We've got to be the place where we say, enough. We, I'm not going to listen to this, and I'm certainly not going to send it on to the next person. Someone starts talking to you about someone else in a way that's not uh, attractive or pleasing or doesn't honor them. You need to say, go to the source. You need to say, I think you need to take that up with the person that you're talking about, getting your, your facts straight. Um, and if we would be those kinds of people that hold people accountable um, from their busy body work, the witness of the church is going to be so much stronger. It's going to be, um, when, when we are engaged in gossip, our ability to have a voice goes down. It goes away because people don't trust your words. So how is it that you can hear gossip, send it on and talk to someone else, and then at the same time, try to tell them about Jesus Christ? You got no credibility. We cannot be involved with busy body business. And what was Paul's solution for busy body gossip? Um, he says, now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Basically, he says, we command and we exhort. Those are strong words. We command. If someone's involved with busy body work, here's our command to you as your leaders. That they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Basically saying they need to take a break. 
They need to step out. They need to be quiet. They need to mind their own business. Um, take some time to rebuild their standing with others so that the gospel can once again be presented out of their own mouth. They need Gossips cannot communicate the gospel because you have no voice. You have no credibility. So church, we got to avoid busybody business. We've got to let truth come out of our mouths. And, and Paul was exhorting this church in this way. Well, there's also one other culture that I'm going to address, and that's the culture of easy. The culture of easy. Um, it's not hard to figure out what, that we certainly live in a culture of easy. Um, we love the easy button. We try to take the easy way out of most everything. Um, the path of least resistance, um, this service me um, attitude is there. I want things to be easy for me. And here's what Paul has to say, continuing on. He says, verse 13, he says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey your word in this epistle or this letter, know that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So he starts off here and he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary and do a good. And, and he's acknowledging it's hard work to, to try to keep your mouth shut, to not get involved with other people's business or to keep your nose to the grindstone and keep going to work every day um, and then having a heart for other people and concern for their needs and caring for other people. All of this stuff is hard work. Being involved with your church, um, helping out where it's needed. Someone needs to move. Someone's got a, um, you know, needs a, a lift up. Someone needs a ride to the doctor. All this stuff is hard work. I totally get that. But here we're encouraged to not grow weary in doing good. One of the hardest things that we can do is to hold one another accountable. And that's what Paul's admonishing the church to do here. He says, if there's anyone among you who's not going to listen to this encouragement to work and to not be a gossip and not be a busybody, to keep doing the right things, if there's anybody there that's not going to listen to that, he says, hold them accountable. He says, if, if someone's out of line in some of these things, we're commanded to not keep company with them. Boy, that's a pretty hard line. It says if anyone's going to just ignore what we're saying here and they're going to keep being lazy and they're going to keep being busybodies, he says, don't have company with them anymore. Um, now, that goes against my style. I don't like to cut anybody off. I'd, you know, you might know not to trust somebody. You might know that you there you got to put them in a in a certain place in your mind is what you're willing to talk with them about, but you still keep them in your life. You still love them, right? But here Paul says, "No. Don't even have anything to do with them." But the end goal of this move is to bring about change in their life. And and, and he goes on to say, um, don't view them as an enemy. Don't, don't treat him like he's a scumbag. He just says, don't have anything to do with them in hopes that your um, treatment is understood to be loving and it's understood to be caring and that they will bring about change in their life. Um, and so if we're going to follow the scriptures, if we're going to follow the Lord in here, we've got to be willing to do the hard things sometimes, and that's to hold one another accountable for laziness or for busybody action. We've got to hold one another accountable for the sake of seeing growth and health and life and really for the sake of the gospel. So these three cultures 
are very difficult to counter. Laziness, gossip, and easy, these cultures, um, they're hard on our own lives personally because we're all tempted at times to, to take the, the lazy route. We're tempted to gossip and we're tempted to, to kind of take the easy way through. But sometimes God is calling us to always the, hard, the harder journey, um, the journey that pulls something out of us, the journey that, um, that makes us stronger and more like Him in the end. Um, it's really vital within a, a church context to hold these values and to really counter these cultures, that, that we, we really counter the culture of laziness and gossip and easy. And what's at stake here? If we don't, if we decide to ignore this message, if we decide to ignore Paul's admonition here and we just allow laziness and we just participate in, in busy bozzy gossip, and if we just decide that we're always going to take the easy button and we're not going to do a whole lot around here, what's at stake is a clear presentation of the gospel to the world and the community that we live in. You see, God has put our church in this place or the church that you attend or the people in your life you are there for a very important purpose, and that is that Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him raised from the dead is what's coming out of your mouth in an understandable way. It's being seen in your life. And friends, we want to we be the kind of witnesses that people can hear from, that people can respect. Um, it's so important that Paul told the church to not keep company with those who um, are not, with those who are continuing in these very unhealthy cultures. So we want to you know, wrap up this series with a look here at a very important culture to strive for, one that is, is uh, respectable, one that's working, one that is, is initiating, one that is initiating um, the effort to love other people. Um, and uh, when that culture is established, we're going to see some awesome things happen. Would you pray with me as we try to counter these tendencies and these temptations in our life? Lord, we, we recognize how easy it is to walk in a lazy way, um, how easy it is to gossip, how easy it is to push the easy button um, and, and get out of things, oh Lord. But God, your word calls us to be initiators of love, to be um, reaching out, to be going the extra mile. Lord God, you, you call us, Lord, to um, not only take care of our own needs as we can, but to take care of the needs of those around us, Lord. Um, these, are, these are high callings. And Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen your church, strengthen your ch uh, the folks, oh Lord, who are listening here today, and give them a vision and a mission for their life. And Lord, one that counters these cultures that Paul brought up to the church in Thessalonica, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray today um, for you to fill us with your strength and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord God, this is not um, um, a, uh, um, a get fixed quick kind of scheme, oh Lord, but this is a lot of hard work um, to follow you and to seek you. And it's one we don't have within ourselves to do. We need the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we just invite you into our lives and we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy um, in Jesus' name. Amen.